welcome to the Onyx Pathcast. It's me again, Matthew Dawkins, and I'm joined by my co-host, Eddie Webb. Hello! But not Dixie Cochran. <laughs> no. No, as uh, listeners to last week's solo offering will have heard, uh, I was trapped in a cabin in the middle of the tundra. Oh, again? Arctic winds blowing around me. <laughs> With nothing but copies of Dark Eras, Dark Eras Companion, Dark Eras 2, and the Contagion Chronicle to use as fuel. Because Eddie and Dixie had stolen everything else of value, including the dogs, the horses, the sleds, uh, my dignity. And rather than burning those perfect, precious Chronicles of Darkness books, I decided to self-immolate for warmth. And that's where we ended our episode. As you can tell, I survived. Is, have you really, though? I mean... No. Uh, the fact is, I'm a mummy. <laughs> I destroyed myself and have now reincarnated in a different body, but with the same voice. Uh, it's uh, one of the funny old traits that Arisen possess. It, it is amusing, though, because like in, in the, the Friday bathcast, you were trapped by yourself and set yourself on fire. In the Monday morning meeting blog, I was also trapped in Rich's office and set myself on fire. <laughs> <laughs> so it was well, an interesting trend of self-emulation happening amongst the in-house developers. Yeah, I think I compared um, my setting myself on fire to my career trajectory. <laughs> and... Uh, you know, in our in the various pathcasts that we've recorded, whenever we happen to record in somewhere strange like the old uh, Eisenhower Manor, mm-hmm. or any, someone ends up getting locked in a box or a tree trunk or in a, that compartment behind the painting of Mrs. Eisenhower, uh, the dog. Dog, yes, yes, uh, pug, obviously, obviously, obviously. What else would it be? <laughs> Uh, but yeah, uh, it just so happened that my stay was Arctic, uh, but now we're together again. We don't Yay. have we don't have Dixie with us, uh, and that's fine because we will all three of us. I promise, listeners, yes. will get together again for an audio only podcast one day. Uh, I know it has been a while. We've done things on video for Onyx Path Con. We right. appear in games mm-hmm. uh, with other people. But a, an actual podcast where it's just us three has been a long time coming. Mm-hmm. So uh, keep, keep building that anticipation and we will get it, there. It is funny because like for, for several years, it, it was all three of us. And, and there are so many points where it's like, what did we talk about this week? Um, and then this year, it's like we tried something different because it's 10th anniversary. We went to do all sorts of cool stuff. So we've been trying all those new things. And now it's like, kind of miss that, you know, just us, the three of us hanging out together. So it'll be interesting where come 2023, if by around June, July, we're like, okay, so what are we doing now? <laughs> well, the mistake we made this year was having a plan. Right. That, that was clearly the wrong direction. Yeah, because we've actually scheduled episodes to tie into our 10th anniversary sale. And listeners, if you haven't checked it out right now, this month is Chronicles of Darkness month. So there will be Chronicles of Darkness books on sale on drive through RPG, so do check it out. And Indie Press Revolution Studio 2. Um, I can't guarantee your friendly local game store will be indulging in the Chronicles of Darkness sale, but you can always check. But pester the owner. Say, well, they're selling this book for 90% off online. So They always I, love that. Yeah. Um, I remember when... 
when when books were first available online, Eddie. Oh wow! Uh, there was a small storefront called Amazon that uh, dealt almost I've... purely with books. I've heard of it. Yeah, uh, I don't know what became of it. And I, I remember that the local bookstores would start doing price matches. You could, oh, yeah. you could go in and say, I found it for this price online, and they would knock a couple of pounds off. Mm-hmm. But, and this was in the early days of the internet, of course. So then, of course, websites like Amazon completely took over the world, and the high street could no longer compete. And so, yeah, if I, I imagine if you went in these days with a screenshot of your favorite book retailer online and said, well, this is selling it for 50% off, they would just smack you on the forehead and say, get out. You're just reminding us of our inevitable descent into bankruptcy. <laughs> uh, that sounds about right, actually. Speaking of inevitable descents, Mummy the way. Curse. That isn't a backhanded compliment either, uh, or a comment. Uh, there is a mechanic in Mummy the Curse called the Descent, which is the track your character follows as they wither away and ultimately descend back to Duat and uh, their assorted afterlife struggles. Um, but we won't. We'll get there. We will get there. The main purpose of this episode. The, the only purpose of this episode, to be quite frank, is to do a semi-deep dive, let's say a half plunge, into the world of Mummy the Curse, and also to create a character. And for that purposes, I have with me my beautiful assistant, Eddie Webb. Ooh. <laughs> I'm supposed I'm to say to that, right? It's like it's an audio-only spe- format. Do I, how do I... How do I confirm or refute your assertion yeah i guess i was picturing you doing the um ben White. yeah exactly the the uh sequined curtain parts and there's a massive copy of mummy the curse or a big sarcophagus there with your character <laughs> in. it's and... full of mummy the curse books pouring out of it yeah <laughs> and she's holding it shut saying no one can be permitted <laughs> to <laughs> the, the curse it has been enacted <laughs> Oh my god, that actually be really funny to have, like, you know, some kind of horrible, like, it's a normal game show, but then, like, some kind of horrible curse happens, and then the game show just descends into anarchy. Well, stay tuned, then, because that's going to now be the They Came From Camp Murder Lake game I run for uh, <laughs> Virtual Horicon. Nice. Uh, yeah, uh, and, and today our special prize, worth a priceless sum... Is a genuine sarcophagus from the Nameless Empire. We haven't checked what's inside, and there's a bunch of angry storage hunters. You know those um, people that make a living by cracking open old storage units. Sat mm-hmm. in the front row, wondering what could be inside. What could be inside the sarcophagus? <laughs> and of course, it's a mummy <laughs> to to no one's shock. Uh, I uh, once in in a Vampire the Requiem game, I ran. And I don't know if I ever wrote this into a book. Uh, I wish I had. Had a prince who had decided that it was time for him to finally descend into Torpor, get away from this rat race of mm-hmm. the Invictus and the Lancet Sanctum and the rest, and, and hand things over to his seneschal. And he'd recently committed some foul crime. He basically went flipped everyone the bird and said, ah, fuck <laughs> this city, you deal with all this mess. 
And off he went to his super secret haven to uh, sink into torpor for at least a few years where no one would know he slept. Mm -hmm. Uh, The only people that were aware were his ghouls. And uh, it just so happened that after he secreted himself, because he was waiting for his ghouls to wake him, um, that his ghouls were all in the same limousine driving back from the haven Mm. and uh, ended up in a massive pile-up and all died. And so there was no one there to wake him up. And so he was trapped in this haven for years and years and years until in the form of the epilogue for the game, uh, we one of the characters is watching some storage wars or storage hunters kind of show on TV. And uh, yeah, it looks like uh, the owner for this one stopped paying the uh, the rent on this storage unit two years ago. So we're going to crack it open and see what we can find. And uh, it's being broadcast live for some reason. And when <laughs> when they open it, of course, <laughs> out comes the prince burning in the daylight, um, disintegrating as the cameraman screams. Uh, but yeah, I thought that would be a wonderful way for a prince to go. That's amazing. It is kind of similar to um, uh, one point, uh, this was many years ago, but I was invited to uh, host a vampire LARP on a cruise as when I was working with White Wolf proper. Mm. Um, and uh, the, the, there's a crew, the entire crew is around just different LARPs on the cruise. Um, and they say, Can we all come out to do a panel and also run a game? And so they're like, Eddie, you're the only LARPer in the office. You could take care of that. I'm like, great. I get a free cruise. That's amazing. Um, and, and, and I remembered that uh, in Vampire uh, Bloodlines, uh, the Uncarn sarcophagus, when, when they talk about it, there's a throwaway line about how it came over to the US in the 20s and to, I think, in San Francisco. Yeah. And so I actually ran the LARP of that cruise. Like there was an auction happening on that cruise for the current sarcophagus with a bunch of vampires. They were all on that cruise to try to buy it. And of course they all died. So it was basically just because <laughs> just, I was like, someone's going to be dumb and open this. But the funny part was like a couple of the players knew the video game. So they knew what it actually was. And they're like, should we use this thing? Now? Like, yeah, sure. Just your characters just know for some reason you have this uncanny knowledge of it. So they were trying to warn everybody off. But of course, like everyone, the, the venture went out like, no, this is going to, this is a venture artifact from the ancient days. And it gives you prestige <laughs> if we, if we acquire this. And so they just, it was a brilliant descent into, to, to utter murder, which is great for a one-time LARP, you know? Yeah. And, uh, and listeners don't feel like this is restricted to vampire. If you want something secreted in a sarcophagus that's going to burst out and spell the end of days, that's Mummy the Curse all over. Indeed, it's for everybody. Indeed, yeah. There are a few games that aren't benefited from a sarcophagus filled with nasty things. (laughs) Uh, Pugmire, for example. (laughs) I I think Pugmire, it works perfectly well, especially Mal. That's true, that's true. um, You know, there is a certain pharaonic influence to... To some of the monarchies. Uh, but anyway, anyway, uh, we should get on with this. So yes. what is what is Mummy the Curse? Well, listeners, if uh, you somehow missed every other episode where we discussed it, uh, Mummy the Curse is a game in which you play a deathless individual, or rather a uh, marette, a coterie, a circle, a party of, of these deathless individuals in general. Uh, these... Uh, People were members of the Nameless Empire, an ancient proto-Egyptian empire uh, that discovered or was imparted the gift of eternal life 
but with it came eternal servitude. Uh, the subjects of our play, our protagonists, are mummies, individuals cursed or blessed, depending on your perspective, with this uh, eternity to ponder their mistakes, and uh, occasionally brought out of their slumber to serve the judges, their gods, serve their cults, typically mortals, and uh, seek out relics and artifacts, vessels and such from the Nameless Empire. In Mummy the Curse First Edition, this game was played in a roughly linear form or through the form of flashbacks. Uh, so your characters were first entombed in the Nameless Empire, they then wake up X number of years later, and so on and so on and so on. Uh, now, in Mummy the Curse Second Edition, that linear timeline has been scrambled up by a madman. Uh, that would be me. <laughs> Uh, because I enjoyed the idea that mummies uh, being uh, imbued with such magnificent power don't truly exist on a uh, flat timeline. Uh, their consciousnesses exist at all points at all times. It's just whether their vessel is awake to let them move around and whether there's someone there to wake them. In other words, a mummy can... Descend for the first time in the Nameless Empire, then wake up for the first time in 2022. Maybe after that descent, uh, that uh, mummy will next wake up in 1666 in the middle of the Great Fire of London. Maybe mm -hmm. the next time it will be 200 years later, and then 1,000 years earlier, and so on. Now, how would you avoid your mummy knowing everything about your past? Well, that's part of the trick of mummy. When a mummy first awakens, whether they are summoned or whether they are called into awakening by just someone disturbing their tomb or what have you. They possess godlike powers, powers unknown, uh, but they lack almost all memory of who they were, where they're from, and what they've experienced. It's the job of their cults, their followers, to enlighten them as to why they have awoken. And as a mummy sechem, their measure of power, descends, uh, they slowly recover memory, which is another meter on their character sheet. So it tends to invert. Sechem goes down, memory goes up. So by the time your character is practically mortal, the, the power level of a base sorcerer, shall we say, uh, they may not be able to affect the world in a in a global catastrophe sense anymore, but they will remember everything. And so then it mm. becomes a, a question of how are they going to record this? How are they going to ensure that the next time they wake, they are able to benefit from this information? And some of that will come down to when do they wake up next? Uh, can they entrust their cults with this information? And so on. Uh, so it's there's a it's a game of mysteries. It's a game of investigation as well as being a game of being a godlike entity that uh, cannot truly die. It is very very difficult, if not impossible, to properly destroy a mummy. Mm -hmm. uh, but I think the biggest selling point to me, the thing that brought me into mummy in the first place, was this idea of discovering your past through. Um, through isolated scenes 
and the tragedy that comes with realizing, and I know it's a bit tried and tested now, again, this is the first thing that got me into Mummy, and the first Chronicle of Mummy I ever ran was the mummies found themselves in conflict with other Arisen, other mummies, over a single relic. Uh, they were believed that these other mummies were stealing it from the protagonist, so the protagonist woke up and tried to get it back. By the time it was time to descend, they realised that these mummies who they were fighting with, they've basically been locked in the exact same thieving from you, thieving from me relationship for centuries, if not millennia, and they always forget and they always wake up to repeat the same damn thing over and over again. Mm. Nice little capsule, traditional uh, memory loss story, memento style, but it works. It's a good introduction, I should say. Uh, to Mummy the Curse. All that said, we need to create a character for yes. Mummy. And Eddie is our test subject. Mm-hmm. I have electrodes on, ready to go. Yes, uh, we will mummify you shortly, and uh, <laughs> hopefully you'll awake sometime in the future to tell us how well it went. If you awake yeah. sometime I, in the past, I was no given benefit. this really large hook when, in, with the stuff you sent me. <laughs> I'm not sure what that's for. It's not going to have to do much work, I assure you. Oh! <laughs> anyway. Uh, when, when you say large hook, I imagine like a big f- um, boating hook. <laughs> 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 Rather than the, the long, uh, small the, hook. I was like, that, that will not fit in my nose, I'm pretty sure. No, well, well we could just crack into your skull. Like <laughs> just just rip it off, it's fine. Uh, so... When creating a mummy, the best thing to have available is a character sheet, which Eddie does have to hand. I have the interactive character sheet that was uploaded to DriveThruRPG as part of the uh, character sheet collection recently. Oh, well advertised. Very nice. Uh, If you aren't interested in other character sheets, of course, you can download the interactive character sheet with Mummy the Curse on DriveThruRPG. But yes, uh, as Eddie said, if you have bought a copy of Mummy through the Kickstarter or through uh, Backerkit or via your friendly local retailer, uh, then do check out the character sheet collection for Chronicles of Darkness. There are a lot of options there. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, so yes, when it comes to creating a mummy, I'm going to be taking you through the book step by step, which I know you don't have open in front of you. I Hopefully I won't stumble over too much. It has been a little while since I've created a character myself for mummy, but one would hope I've not forgotten the meaningful things. We'll figure it out. Yeah. So before we get started with talk of guilds, decrees, judges, and whatnot, Eddie, first mm-hmm. thing to come up with is, of course, a concept. Now, this will be a short description. I like to use the Monty Cook method of an adjective noun who verbs. Uh, mm-hmm. because he's a genius, that Monty Cook. Genius. And uh, with his fleet of yachts. <laughs> Puget Sound. Um, but <laughs> all that aside, I find that uh, creating a nice little snapshot of a character is useful. Now, here's the thing, Eddie. You don't have to think of your character through the prism of someone ancient. Oh, okay. uh, you, you can think of a character who is modern or a character who is middling historical. Um, main thing is, for instance, are they a defiant heretic who wants to take down the system? Are they a nostalgic judge who wants to recover their past? 
that sort of thing. You know, it's uh, it's conceptual that will hopefully point you in the right direction when it comes to assigning traits. Okay. Um. So I I am uh, uh my my current concept is um uh kind of an amnesiac monarch, uh, someone who the kind of guy who wanders around the streets claiming that he's the king of a, of a forgotten kingdom, but everyone no one believes him. Okay, uh, yeah, Napoleon complex. Not right, a exactly. Man side the I there's fourteen people in this asylum who think they're Napoleon. Yeah, or or the um the guy who was the emperor of San Francisco in yeah eighteen hundreds. Okay, uh, so you're thinking an amnesiac monarch who rants and rambles. Right. (laughs) Amnesiac monarch who rambles. That works for me. Yes. So then we have aspirations. Aspirations, uh, as in Story Path, you choose a few. Uh, They are goals and objectives for either the Arisen, that's the other word for a mummy, Uh, deathless Mm -hmm. is another word for them, in case I happen to chop and change, Um, or for yourself as a player. So Mm -hmm. obviously we're not running this game of mummy, but again, these can help, of course, inform where you uh, assign dots later in character sheets. So you don't have to think of all of them, uh, but things like smite an unbeliever, challenge the arrogance of the other arisen, Mm -hmm. that sort of thing. Right. I mean, uh, I think the first kind of couple that are obvious for this hypothetical campaign um, was uh, is find out if I was in fact a monarch, which kind of ties into recovering my memory, which seems to be a good theme for for mummy specifically. Yeah. Um, but also uh, learn about my condition specifically uh, uh, because he's, he's mixed up. So it's like, he's not sure how much of his confusion is genuinely like a mental problem and how much of it is imposed by his condition. So kind of learning that part will also point him towards figuring out how mummy society, quote unquote, such as it is exists and his place in the, in the, the Chronicles of Darkness. Yeah, I could see this character fitting in well with uh, if if the Moret, if the player group was uh, taking on the pyramid structure, uh, which is one of the options in Mummy, where you have one character who is a mummy, you have a couple of characters who are maybe immortals or sorcerers, mm-hmm. and the rest are mortals. It's um, not a game that strives for white room balance, that right. phantasmal idea. Uh, Rather, it's something driven by narrative, by character growth, and having a single amnesiac figure in the middle of this orbiting cast who may or may not be taking advantage of him could be fun. Mm -hmm. No, absolutely. I I could definitely see other player characters doing things like some who are genuinely wanting to help him with his mission, some who are like, oh no, you don't remember? I'm your best friend kind of manipulation. Mm -hmm. Okay, then. All right, so let's look at attributes. Uh, so it's uncommon, given how often we spend time in the story path world, to go for attributes first. But we have to yeah. reset our minds. Back, back to the beginning. Yes, go back, back. So, of course, you have mental, physical, and social. I don't need to read through those attributes. I'm sure the listeners are aware of what they are. Mm-hmm. Uh, but in Chronicles of Darkness, you will start with an automatic single dot in each of them. And then, of course, you rank them, primary, secondary, tertiary. And then for your primary category, you have five dots, for your secondary four, and for your tertiary three. So, two dots is the human average. 
One dot tends to be a weakness, although by no means are you incapable. And three and above represents a particular strength. So, um, given the fact that uh, uh, my character needs to quickly draw people to his side to help him with this quest, I figure uh, social is going to be my primary. Uh, and considering his amnesia, probably heavy on presence. I'm thinking four dots in presence and a couple dots in manipulation and composure. Okay. Um, because I think I want to I want to have him be average in those, but I want to give other characters rooms to genuinely manipulate him. So it's like he's just the guy that everyone either is in awe of or wants to, wants to help out. But if someone can get to the inner circle and get in the inside, they might be able to actually point him in, in their particular direction. Yeah, that works for me. Um, kind of related. I also think he's not probably all that bright. Uh, so I actually have his uh, mental as tertiary. So I just put two dots across the board. Um, he he's again has the potential for being misled, uh, but he's not he's not an idiot. I mean, he he was at one point a ruler, um, but he he's he's lost a lot of his his spark in that regard. Uh, and then, so for physical is the what's left over. And given how he's probably survived some pretty unusual circumstances, I, I figure three dots in stamina and two dots in everything else. Uh, okay. Yep. Yeah, so you've had your five, four, three split there. Mm -hmm. uh, so now we can jump into skills. Skills are, of course, slightly more uh, ranged. However,. One of the challenges in Mummy the Curse is, of course, justifying skills that your character doesn't necessarily know they possess. In a lot of uh, World of Darkness Chronicles of Darkness games, we treat skills or abilities or whatever you happen to call them as learned rather than the instinctive uh, aspects that make up attributes. In Mummy, it's slightly different. The, these skills, a lot of them are going to be in the form of muscle memory. You can do these when you woke, wake up because you have done them before. It's just the synapses aren't flaring up to tell you why you can do them. Part of the fun of Mummy is when you use a skill really well, that may actually trigger a, a memory, a, a flashback to why you're able, or flash forward, to why you're suddenly able to drive a car before when, to your knowledge, you've never woken up since uh, the, the era of gods and pyramids. Uh, so your skill range is, let's see, 11 to your primary, 7 to your secondary, and 4 to your tertiary. Based on the content we have so far, uh, uh, social seems like a good primary for, for skills. Um, so I have uh, three dots in empathy and in persuasion uh, because those seem, again, to play into the whole, he's just a very charismatic guy and people want to like him. Uh, I have a couple dots in intimidation because he can get angry, uh, so he can be a little scary when he wants to be. Um, and then a dot in uh, subterfuge, socialize, and expression. Uh, subterfuge is like you know, a little, he, he, he's not, again, he was a ruler, so he knows how to lie a little bit. He's just out of practice in my opinion. Uh, same with socializing. He's probably been to parties and, and been to events and whatnot. Uh, expression is just more, as we're talking, I'm thinking him kind of middle to late ages. So he probably has a little bit of artistic skill. Maybe it's playing some music or, or painting. I'm not sure what yet, but that kind of upper class picking up a hobby because you're bored era. Mm -hmm. um, so so I, a late enough time period where 
that's a possibility as opposed to endless war or I need to feed my people kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and even though I had him slightly high in physical, there weren't a couple, there weren't a lot of physical skills that made sense to me. So I actually made that tertiary. I just put three dots in survival to play off the stamina decision. Mm -hmm. And then a dot in athletics, just kind of like, you know, a little bit of punchy punchy. Okay. Um, and then, uh, so for mental, uh, I had to give him three dots in politics. I figured that's probably the muscle memory part we're talking about, right? Like he, he, he knows how to, he may not know the specifics of political situation, but he knows how people work and how to get them to do what he needs them to do in that yes. respect. He so knows politics. how to work a court. Right. It's like he can walk into a room and go, okay, you're the guy in charge. Because mm. I figure that's something he's probably had to do a lot in his life. Yeah. Um, similar, a uh, couple of dots of investigation, because if this is his goal to find his uh, memory, he's probably learned a bit about just talking to people, following up clues. That's probably something he's, he's picked up a, a fair bit of ability to do as his quest has gone on. Um, and then just a dot of academics and occult to reflect bits and pieces of knowledge he's picked up because he's probably pretty early in this quest. So he's probably, but he's probably still picked up like a few things here and there already. Yeah. It sounds to me like, um, and it makes sense given they are, this character is effectively starting level, uh, mm -hmm. that this may be the first time, uh, he's awoken since the nameless empire or one of the first couple of times. And yeah, things like occult, maybe he will come to the realization of how he came to learn these things uh, during the course of play. Mm -hmm. That's fair. Uh, so now we add our Arisen template. We have a mortal, but we do not have an immortal. So the first step is your balance and your burden. Okay. Uh, so anyone familiar with uh, Vampire uh, would know of nature and demeanor. Anyone familiar with Chronicles of Darkness will be familiar with virtue and vice. Mm -hmm. And a lot of games have an equivalent trait if they're in the World or Chronicles of Darkness bracket. In Mummy the Curse, a balance and a burden, well, they clearly mean different things. A balance is what keeps a character on the path uh, their judges have laid out. Uh, so, in other words, the things they believe to be virtuous and uh, balance tends to be the best of those things. Anytime a mummy overcomes a challenge to affirm their balance, they gain a willpower. Mm, okay. uh, when overcoming something incredibly risky or philosophically challenging to their balance, they regain all lost willpower. Then you have burdens. Uh, the burden is the weight they bear from the sacred duty laid upon them. Uh, different arisen respond differently to different burdens and use them as ways to process avoid or get lost in uh, these emotional reverberations uh, they are the negative ways that you interact with your duties so if you want i can give you some examples of yes, balances and burdens okay so balances might be courageous devoted diligent faithful generous introspective just noble peaceful resilient righteous Ah, sounds like you're ty typing. Have yes. you settled on one? Uh, introspective sounds pretty accurate to what I'm thinking. Okay, and burdens include such things as accusing, careless, chaotic, cruel, dominant, forgetful, fragile, hysterical, <laughs> isolated, rageful, resentful, selfish, or stagnant. Uh, forgetful seems a little too obvious, almost. Yeah, yeah, I would say so. Um, but... Um... Uh, stagnant's not quite right either. Um, 
it, you could go out of left field here and go for something like resentful. Uh, this your character could have a bitterness. Why me? Yeah. Yeah, uh, I like that current state. It, it's the um, the introspective and resentful. As we as you said that that actually makes sense to me because it's the some of the introspective is I'm trying to find myself and some of the introspective kind of slides towards self pitying. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, I dig that. Okay, resentful sounds good. All right, so now we move on to touchstones uh, again. If you're familiar with Vampire the Requiem or Masquerade Fifth Edition or Hunter. Uh, in fact, <laughs> you'll uh, know all about touchstones. Uh, these don't have to be mortals. So, an arisen must maintain a touchstone to prevent themselves from becoming anything but an animated drive or engine of hunger, lust, revenge, or whatever they happen to uh, be burdened with. Right. Um, now, the most three most common types of touchstone are a sadiq, which is basically an immortal servant who rises and falls with you, mm -hmm. uh, without the burden of memory loss, but with the burden of being absolutely tied to you. Uh, there are also witnesses and inheritors, uh, different forms of mortal. Uh, one of which, uh, if you're an, an inheritor, for instance. They may have actually been bestowed with one of your organs, uh, so that should you die, um, should your body be destroyed, you will be rebirthed into theirs, uh, which will be pleasant for them. <laughs> yeah. Surprise! <laughs> yeah. Uh, when you choose a touchstone, you should select either a virtue or vice of that particular character. Um, now, when actually playing the game, if you're playing with a group, it's quite possible for one of the players to be the touchstone, or players' characters to be a touchstone for another player's character. Sure, it's a, especially on that pyramid structure you're talking about, it seems like it's a pretty natural connection there. Yeah, um, so assisting the touchstone in fulfilling their chosen virtue or vice, and the touchstone re uh, regains all willpower. Uh, if, the if the touchstone regains all willpower in their presence, you gain a reminisce beat, which basically helps you recover memory. Hmm. Um, the touchstone acts as an anchor to you they aren't just something that keeps you stable they're also something that reminds you of who you are um, however the opposite is true uh, if the touchstone is killed or sent into repose in the form of a Sadiq for instance uh, hmm. you might lose memory uh, because you lose a connection to yourself um, the big question when it comes to touchstones is how can they exist across a multiple era-spanning chronicle? Right. Uh, now, the easiest way is make them a Sadiq because they will always be around with you. Mm -hmm. um, but another way is to have a touchstone basically be a descendant or ancestor of the same individual and have that touchstone pass through them. Uh, so, yes, you may not have known this person uh, before you woke up, but you certainly knew their great-grandfather. Um, so, what are you thinking? What kind of touchstone do you want for your character? Um, Sadiq seems kind of a pretty simple one for me. I mean, uh, I, I think if <clears throat> there are more players, I might consider another alternative, but having someone who rises and falls with me makes a degree of sense because I could see the character logic of because i'm keep forgetting things you need to accumulate the knowledge i acquire through this trip yeah um 
but then also that leaves for an transition of, of that character to be potentially manipulating me and manipulating that information. Well, yeah, I mean, if if you want to get particularly sad and horrific about it, not only are you effectively a character with a condition like dementia, mm-hmm. uh, who is waking up not knowing who anybody is, your mm-hmm. Sadiq is effectively your eternal carer. Yeah, exactly. Uh, for, throughout all time, they are obliged to help you figure out who you are, what you're doing, and it's quite possible for a character much like your own to grow resentful or blasé uh, about the the horror of the situation or come to self-pity. Right, and, and I think that might be an interesting exploration because, um, especially with the introspective versus resentful, is that I could see this relationship sliding towards this deep, becoming also resentful of this. It's the guy. You wake up, you don't know who I am. I try to give you some information. You, you self pity for a while, then you fall back asleep, and I have to deal with it. Like, you, know, you, you don't pity me. Hmm. Um, you're not resentful of me being dragged through on this quest. You're resentful of your own kind of curse. Uh, so there could be some interesting role play between those two characters. Yeah, uh, I mean, I think uh, it, one thing that would be fun is if this were a group, let's say Dixie were playing your Sadiq in this case, mm-hmm. uh, if you were playing a game set in 1000 BCE, mm-hmm. your Sadiq may well be a loyal servant at that point. If you're playing a game set in 2022, your Sadiq may be an utterly twisted, hateful individual. And what's fun for the player of the Sadiq is they can play that character both ways, depending on the way the game is set. It basically gives them a challenge and a starting emotion uh, based on the time they've actually spent with this mummy. Right. And I could see fun narrative things like we play in 2022 and then whoever's playing Sadiq says something like, you know, you know, I remember the time you betrayed me. And then mm-hmm. we as players don't necessarily know what that is. And then we go back to it and then, we find a moment in some of the past things where that had, we could see that character coming to that conclusion. You know, it's like the, the it, it, it's an interesting way to kind of play into the inevitability of fate. But we mm. as players go, okay, we know that at some point this beat has to happen, so let's find a way to make that cool beat happen. Yeah. Uh, okay, so you just have to choose a balance or burden, uh, well, virtue or vice, I should say, uh, for your Sadiq. Are these the usual seven virtues and vices? Uh, that's the easiest to go for. Certainly, you can be creative with them if you want. Um, but if you're, if, depending on if you want to lean toward the positive or the negative, um, if you're looking at positive, something to do with the fact that this character is clearly devoted. Um, right. I was thinking something like loyal. Yeah, um... loyalty would be a natural one. Uh, charitable. Um, if you're looking at the negative side of things, a vice could be um, vain or selfish um, that, that that's developed over time, effectively. Yeah, well, let's, let's start with loyal, um, because uh, uh, loyalty can slowly twist into something like stagnation and, and, and corruption. Yeah. All right, um, then. Because... I was like, I was going to say, like, loyalty can always, like, especially if power comes with it, it's the I'm loyal to you because I feel like I need to do this, and then later on I'm loyal to you because of what you give me. Yeah. 
so we now look at decree. Your decree is the foundation of your enduring sense of self, the medium by which your soul survived the right of return and with which you are empowered to return again and again. Uh, there are five potential decrees for your arisen character. Uh, I will read through them, yeah. and uh, if at any point one grabs you, I will stop. Uh, so in alphabetical order, we have Ashem, the jackals. Uh, they are unflinching guardians and wise occultists. They confront fear and help others do the same. Their defining pillar of the defining pillar of the Ashem is Shiut, which is the shadow, and you get an affinity point. Yeah. Uh, Deshret, the falcons, are ambitious visionaries and zealous champions. They test themselves and pursue greater heights of accomplishment. Uh, the defining pillar of the Deshret is Ba. We have the Kheru. Uh, the lions, passionate heralds and vital, thrill-seeking beings. They pursue the exhilarating highs and grievous lows of existence with equal enthusiasm. Their defining pillar is Ab. I'm kind of debating the lions, but I want to hear see if okay. one grabs me. Nezrem, the bulls, are enduring sentinels and tireless devotees. They overcome challenges and create lasting legacies. Nope, that one. Yeah. Yeah. What was that? How's, how's it spelled? Uh, Nezrem, N-E-S-R-E-M. Okay. Uh, so you will start off with a bonus affinity called Guardian Bull, uh, which I will find for you now and tell you what it does. Uh, mm. Do excuse the sound of typing. Yeah, I mean, we're making characters, so I think typing is going to be just kind of a part of these podcasts. Yeah, live with it, listeners. <laughs> <laughs> All right, 51, here we go. Uh, so, Guardian Bull. If someone harms one of your touchstones, you rise from Henet, your slumber, to protect the touchstone as if the aggressor disturbed your tomb. So that implies a definite loyalty to your Sadiq. Mm -hmm. uh, whenever you open doors, so in social maneuvering or combat using intimidation or violence, you gain the steadfast condition. And you benefit from a low level of armor, 1 slash 0, uh, which stacks with any other armor you possess while sealing the flesh. Uh, if you defend a touchstone, your general armor rating is equal to your car dots, which we'll get on to. Yeah, no, that, I mean, I don't know some of the details of that, but that sounds very much where I was imagining things going. So Yeah. All right, I will find the page I was on. There we go. So now we get onto the guild. Uh, as I mentioned in the previous solo video, and not that you were there for Eddie, hence why okay. it was solo, uh, there are most Chronicles of Darkness games come with two axes. Uh, in Mummy, the two most prominent ones are Decree and Guild. We also have Judge just to select. Hmm. Uh, but guild is uh, which one of the five great guilds you belonged to in life and thus continue to do so in your deathless state. You have. In fact, I know the one that's most likely going to apply to your concept, but maybe you'll want to go against type. So I'm going to start with that one and then work backwards. Okay. We have the Tef Arby. Uh, they are leaders, architects, and geomancers. They seek power and influence through connections and symbols of the divine and follow the rise and fall of great cities and monuments. Yeah, that does sound really good, but let's hear, hear some other ones. Sumenent are necromancers, priests, and advisors. They chase the mysteries of life and death and observe how ruination and disaster shape the course of cultures and nations. 
Seshahebsu are diplomats, law keepers, and arbiters. They preserve knowledge, seek wisdom, and study the tangled threads of cause and effect. Mesen Nebu are alchemists, revolutionaries, and deal makers. They seek potential, prosperity, and transformation, and watch how the web of commerce and trade ensnares each civilization in turn. And then we have Marquette. Uh, they are spies, manipulators, and watchdogs. They observe, gather information, and examine the principles underlying each iteration of civilization they witness. No, no, I think your instinct was right. TFRB it is. Okay, so that's T-E-F hyphen A-A-B-H-I. A-A-B-H-I? Yeah. Uh, your chosen vessels, I don't think you need to note it down, are effigies. Uh, basically, okay. you recover... Uh, power through effigies and are more likely to collect them now if anyone listening to this is familiar with mummy 1e but not 2e they may have noticed that the guilds have somewhat broadened uh, mm-hmm. this was a conscious decision on my part as developer because uh, the marquette for instance in first edition words styled as the engravers and it didn't really and while there was some information in books like guild halls of the deathless that expanded that concept uh some of those guild ideas were a little narrow for role players. It was the feedback I was getting. So mm-hmm. uh, we have expanded them. For instance, Mark Epp, as mentioned, our spies, manipulators, and watchdogs. I very much styled them as the secret police of the nameless empire. That makes sense. Um, but the Mesa and Nebu haven't needed to change at all because alchemists are fun. We just added revolutionaries to that because if you're willing to build, brew potions, you're probably willing to blow things up. <laughs> That's fair. Uh, so next you choose your judge. There are 42. However, we didn't note 42 of them in the book. Okay, that's a long list. <laughs> yeah, you wait till the end to say, oh, I, I like the first one. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, you pick a judge to serve. Um, basically, it, when you first passed through Duat, you were judged uh, by multiple judges, but one of whom basically held your fate in their palm, if indeed they have hands. Mm-hmm. Uh, they tend to deal with narrow or opaque sins or concepts that even most arisen struggle to identify with. Uh, because from a behind-the-curtain perspective, they are very much of a cosmic horror bent. They aren't human. They don't relate to humans, not in any meaningful way. Mm-hmm. Now we have seven judges in the core book. There are more coming in book of the uh, a book of lasting death, mm, nice. uh, because we wanted to detail some judges in full rather than just putting a name and a brief synopsis. But for you, Eddie, I will give you a name and a brief synopsis, and you can choose okay. your judge. So we have Am Kaibit, the Eater of Shadows, judges crimes against humanity, particularly mass murder. Mm-hmm. R.M. Abfu, the final judge, concerns itself with crimes against the cosmos, particularly through sorcery and science reaching beyond humanity's station. We have Kenemti, the penitent, condemns crimes of blasphemy and desecration against the sacred. Nebhar, the flame, judges deception and lies. Nehebkar, the one who unifies, concerns itself with iniquities born from human pride and arrogance. Unem Besek, the Eater of Entrails, good name, judges the theft of land, the denial of sustenance, and the disruption of dominion. And then you have Usek Nemtet, the first judge, concerns itself with those challenging the judges by seeking immortality, judging even the arisen themselves. 
So the judge you choose is going to help define the way you play your character, and also when you play your character's journey through Duat, uh, you're likely to encounter this character who will judge the actions in your recent chronicle. So, okay. uh, The Eater of Entrails sounds interesting. Yeah, theft of land, denial of sustenance, and the disruption of dominion. As someone mm-hmm. who may well style themselves a ruler yourself, you're probably right. quite antsy about the sort of thing. Exactly. Uh, so you can just write in the Eater of Entrails. Know it by its title. I mean, to be fair, that's the part that really sticks out. <laughs> <laughs> so now we have favoured attributes. We're over halfway there. Mm-hmm. Uh, the power of your arisen soul gives you strength, reinforcing your mind and body in accordance with its nature. Choose one attribute associated with your character's decree and add one dot to it. This can bring your attribute rating above five. So you, which decree did you go for? Uh, the uh, ball, Nezrem. Nezrem. Resolve and stamina. Uh, so put one at each of those or choose one? Uh, choose one dot and put it in one of them. Uh, actually, I'll just bump my stamina to four. Okay. So now we're on pillars. Uh, pillars are effectively the traits that fuel what powers you have access to. Mm-hmm. Uh, in a sense, they're a little more mage-like than some of the other Chronicles and World of Darkness games, and like a bit like Spheres. Okay. Uh, so your pillars are Ab, Heart, Ba, Spirit, Ka, Essence, Ren, Name, and Shiot, Shadow. You don't need to worry too much about what they mean at this time. What they will act as is prerequisites for powers down the line. Okay. Uh, were we playing this long form, we would probably start adjusting dots around the place after character creation just to make sure you can qualify for the power that really appeals. Mm-hmm. But for the time being, uh, you get nine dots to allocate among these five pillars. No pillar can have a rating higher than that of your character's primary pillar, which which is associated with your decree. Right. Uh, your primary pillar is Ba. Right. And Ba is spirit? Uh, it is indeed. Your character okay. possesses spirit. I'll put uh, four dots in that. That's just my primary one. And uh, I have nine? Uh, yep. Actually, well, I'll put five dots in bar and one dot and everything else just to have a little bit of flexibility. Okay. Uh, so, yes, yeah, so you are hyper-focused, but that, that right. works. And, yeah, if you need to take it down to buy a nice power shortly, you can. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Uh, so now we get on to affinities and utterances. Your character possesses potent supernatural abilities fueled by the necromantic powers of your deathless state. Affinities are subtle magics. Utterances most certainly are not. Calling down terrible plagues, meteors, that sort of thing. Ah, okay. Yeah. Uh, so you play, begin play with one affinity dictated by your decree, which we've noted. Yep. Uh, a single affinity chosen from those of her guild, which we'll get onto, and a single soul affinity associated with your decree's defining pillar, and one other for which you meet prerequisites. So in total, that is going to be one for the guild. One soul affinity for your defining pillar, and one which you meet prerequisites. All right, um, so the guild one, I already know. Uh, you've already recall. noted the decree one, if I recall. Got it. Okay, so I get three more. Yeah. yeah, yeah, there's multiple affinities available for different uh, decrees. So let me just get to the affinities part of character creation, or rather the affinities chapter. 
So we'll look at soul affinities first. Uh, you're going to want a bar-related one, mm -hmm. as it's your defining one. Uh, you have a few choices. You've got Auspicious Mastery. Uh, it allows you to make one of your mental dice pools a blessed action. That's effectively taking advantage. Mm. Uh, beast Companion. Ah, you're going to have to go for a Beast Companion, Eddie. It's you. <laughs> uh, <laughs> in each incarnation, the Arisen is accompanied by a favoured animal. She chooses a Beast Companion simply by touching it, which binds it to her in loyalty. It remains until its death. Um, whereupon you may choose a new animal. I mean, also, it, it, it's just the, I could see, can we talk about introspective and resentful? I could see my character just talking to my beast companion. You're the only one who understands me, Fluffy. Yeah. yeah. F Fluffy seven or however many there'd be. Right. <laughs> um, <laughs> 25th. The good news is the animal is immune to Sybaris, which is a little like disquiet and Promethean, you know, mm, poisons okay. everyone around you. Uh, it, you can communicate t telepathically with Fluffy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're always perfectly aware of one another's relative location and distance. Mm -hmm. uh, and you can immediately summon it by spending a willpower point. Nice. Uh, you can also spend pillar points to reinforce your animal's attributes. And the animal has the damage resistance and healing rate of you. So oh, it's wow. funny, when it says the animal dies and you can get another one, it's still pretty unlikely that the animal is going to die. <laughs> <laughs> Which is, you know, what we all want, really. So if it hits if it hits the meteor, then yes, maybe, but... Yeah. Uh, so then we have, let's see, so we've now got to go for a soul affinity that is connected to, well, the one that you meet the prerequisites for. And a guild Did we affinity. skip the guild one? Oh, no, yeah. no, no. Oh, let's look yeah. at the guild affinities now. So okay. you've got a few options here. You have Model Life Web. Uh, the mummy is sensitive to the flow of Sekem, power, life force surrounding her, making her highly proficient in manipulating its flow. She adds two okay. dice to craft and expression rolls and automatically detects any hidden alcoves, doors, spaces, or traps present in her immediate vicinity. She does not automatically sense hidden or concealed characters, um, but you can with your normal perception. So there's that. You've got Guardian Statue. You can craft a small protective statuette in the image of another character. Crafting the statuette takes a scene, requires appropriate materials, and costs the Arisen a single willpower point. While the character has a statuette on them on their person, uh, of them on their person, the next time they suffer damage, all harm from the blow glances off and is diverted into the figurine. And then you've got Nest of Dolls. As if clay dolls arranged by her hand, the Arisen treats her inheritors and Sadiq as extensions of her will. Such characters gain the eight again quality on teamwork roles when helping each other or the Arisen. Um, and you may swap an action with any of your inheritors or Sadiq as well. Yeah, let's do that one. Nest, yeah, of, dolls. nest of Dolls. Okay, so then we're just looking at a soul affinity. And mm -hmm. I think I found one that would probably work for you. So let okay. me scroll back up. Uh, God King's Scepter. The mummy <laughs> is tightly bound to her cult beyond the usual threads of fate and magic. She treats all dice pools that would solely target members of her cult as blessed actions. In other words, you always have advantage when rolling against members of your cult or, okay. or to favor them. Um, she benefits from the affinity for any kind of action, attempts to inspire or terrify punishment or attacks, or medical treatment if you're that kind of person. So that worked out alright. Yeah, absolutely. Alright, so now let's look at utterances, and then it's a case of merits. Uh, let's just check how long we've been going. 
No, we've nearly on an hour. Um, so utterances. You pick two utterances for your character, and you begin play with the utterance "Dreams of Dead Gods," uh, an innate part of their being as vessels for the judge's power and a tool for creating new cults. Should an old one be destroyed, okay. Uh, so I could so... read the dead gods regardless. Yep. Okay. Um, so let's go to the utterances part of our book. So I'm going to make some suggestions here because there's a lot of utterances. And okay. uh, these best. are more expansive or more detailed often than disciplines. Uh, it's funny, the the mechanic for using them, again, I compare quite closely to Mage, but the way they are tiered is a little like Gifts in Werewolf. Mm-hmm. Um, almost everyone has three tiers of power. Now, as your character has got five dots of bar, uh, I'm going to look for something that, uh, for instance, Awaken the Dead, to get tier one, you need bar one. To get tier mm. two, you need shiot three. To get tier three, you need ren five. Oh, that's what, hard. Yeah, what we're looking for is something that has bar five so that you can kind of come out of the gate swinging. Right, and like you said, so this is like gifts in the sense of I don't need to qualify for all three of those. I just need to qualify for one of the three tiers. Exactly. Okay. Uh, so let's find one. It would be foolish now if I discover we didn't put any in the book, wouldn't it? <laughs> Here we go. Got one. Uh, well, in fact, this one only requires um, four dots in bar, so you may want to divert one of those dots into Ren. Okay. Palace knows it's Pharaoh. Uh, Palace Knows It's Pharaoh is one of the archetypal powers of Mummy, but it's a good one. Uh, for Tier 1, which requires Car 1, you can place your hand on a surface, concentrate on the artificial structure, and that structure is now defined as a single building. Essentially, mm-hmm. your senses pervade the structure, instantly discerning its layout and the presence of all entities within. Uh, so that's at one dot, if you've mm-hmm. got one dot of Car, which you have. I do. For Tier 2... Uh, while in contact with a structure, you may perform telekinetically telekinetic powers on any part of the structure. Uh, the structural telekinesis is equal to your SECAM rating, which when you wake is typically 9 or 10. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's a ridiculous dice pool for them <laughs> to use for telekinesis, but there we go. Uh, you can unleash this as a death curse. In other words, making the structure fold in on whoever happens to be in it at the time. So that's friendly. And that's Ren 2? Uh, yep. And then you've got Tier 3, uh, which you will also have access to, because it only requires bar 4. Uh, the Arisen warps space within the structure, allowing her to move walls, create doorways, form stairs, place tomb traps within an area she can see as an instant Ooh. action. Alterations last for the remainder of the scene. Uh, you may make a number of alterations equal to her bar plus Sechem with each unleashing. These changes cannot themselves directly cause harm, such as crushing a victim by moving a wall, but, you know, it can lead to it. Uh, You can also transport yourself anywhere in the structure in place of a statue of your size. So, in other words, you can spy on people while giggling. Yeah, yeah, these are all definitely very classic movie powers. Yeah. Uh, So, Palace Knows It's Pharaoh seems to make a lot of sense to me. Right. So, um, you said I have five dots to spend? 
Uh, no, no. Uh, basically, you have you can pick two utterances, and if you qualify oh. for those tiers, you can use those tiers. Okay. So, having moved one of your dots from Bar to Ren, you can use all three tiers of Palace Knows It's Pharaoh from Character Creation. Okay, so so I, so I, I could take two utterances, but I, I get all of the tiers I qualify for. Exactly. Okay, that makes sense. Uh, now, as you've got one more utterance, we'll look for another one with a high or medium bar rating, shall we? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's good. And let's see. Now your bar is down to four. That does restrict yep. us somewhat. So let's go for one where the bar rating is three. So we'll go for something that is that you can basically build up towards. Okay. Uh, maybe. Pestilent Whispers is a fun one. Ooh. Uh, with car one, which you have, with a cruel whisper, there's a tier one, boils, boils and carbuncles proliferate over a victim the mummy can see. Uh, nice. it, there's rolls attached to it, but right. it's, it's unpleasant, so we'll take that for granted. <laughs> uh, tier two, which is uh, which requires bar three, the mummy bestows a horrific plague upon a victim she can see. Wow. Uh, a moderate or grave illness upon their victim. Uh, various sick tilts you can throw at your victim there. With a bar pillar rating of three or higher, the deathless may render the plague contagious, spreading via contact or bodily fluids. Uh, once loose in this way, the disease is entirely natural and goes into remission after a victim's endured it for the Arisen's bar rating in days. So you can render your cultists immune to this, but essentially you're a walking biohazard. Nice. Yeah. And in the game. <laughs> <laughs> oh so God, yeah, I, that... I have my utterances done. Yeah, you do indeed. Uh, I have picked them for you, but um, I think... Well, I mean, sense. this is meant to be demonstrative, so I mean, like, but to be fair, I, I feel like, especially when I help people make characters, one of the reasons why it's good to make characters as a group is that I do feel like I want the, the the storyteller to be telling me, hey, you know, based on your concepts, because that's why you do concept beginnings. And you say, okay, based on your concept, these things might be good for you to help reduce that choice paralysis down. Yeah, exactly. And I think there's also the risk. Uh, I mean, I see it with Vampire the Masquerade a lot. Characters, players will create characters they really want to play, and then they will get to their disciplines and f realize that because of the way they've assigned their points, they're going to be absolutely dreadful at dominate, as an example, right. mm -hmm. uh, which makes them think, ah, my entire character's broken. And in actual mm -hmm. fact, if they just discuss it with the group, they'll generally say, no, just move some points into intimidation out of expression and you'll be fine. But right. um, yeah. Anyway, now we add 10 dots of merits. And uh, after that, it's all pretty much static stuff. Uh, defense, health, willpower, initiative, second, memory, and size. So mm -hmm. uh, we will look at merits now. You get you start with a free dot in cult and tomb. Does it choose separate merits? Yep. Mm -hmm. I like how I um, went through the entire long-form character creation chapter and forgot that I put a table of uh, short-form character creation in the book. That would have been useful. <laughs> <laughs> to uh... <laughs> good job, oh, well. you. Yes, <laughs> yes. Well, you know, I, I've thought ahead. Unfortunately, <laughs> I didn't think backwards. Right. Then let's see again, mummy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, so merits in Mummy the Curse come with three different tags. There are some that are cult only. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, some are can be used by a cult or an individual character, and some are styles. Um, so timeless merits are available only to mummies and other immortal entities. So let's think, if we've got ten dots, let's make things interesting and spend half of them on merits that are exclusive to mummies. Right. And we'll spend the other half on mundane things that will help round out the character in in a real world setting. Okay. Yeah, I, mean, I got some ideas for the mundane ones, but let's get the timeless ones on down first. Okay then. So oh, I tell you what we didn't do. We skipped specialities on skills. Ah, that's all right. The listeners know what specialities are. Right. But you start off with three any anyhow. Mm-hmm. Uh, so here's one that might appeal. It's a 3.1. Balanced. Your character's heart is light as a feather. She revels in her eternal existence, juggling the needs of her personal identity and duties to her judges with ease. The character possesses two balances and may use either one to recover willpower. So that uh, could be interesting. Uh, you can also expand your cult up to five dots. Um, here's one that may definitely appeal. Dead Celebrity. At one time, your character was somebody famous, but everyone knows they're dead now. The identity <laughs> reflected by this merit was famous or infamous at one time as per the fame merit. In the current age, the impression left by that identity continues to influence people. So you could go whole Bubba Hotep here and actually um, be Elvis. <laughs> if I, you that, want. That could be. Um, or uh, an and, actual and, pharaoh. I'm guessing the, the dots are equivalent to fame. It's just you're now dead. Uh, yeah. Uh, there is a drawback, you know, conspiracy theorists abound. Right. Um, so I'm thinking um, two dots and dead celebrity. It's like a, a minor noble that like, you know, like LARP geeks would know of kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and then I'll take balanced and I've added uh, charitable as a second balance. Okay. So yeah, that you do have a good side to you. You're not just a bitter introvert. Right. Um, I am going to pop up cults to five because we talked about how he's very charismatic, so it makes sense he would attract a lot of people around him. Oh, okay. All right. Um, so that gives me one dot left. I guess I could just drop it in tomb. You could. Uh, let's see. Is there anything else that you might find useful? Just having a quick look across the range here. Oh, actually, sorry. I, I realized that's 10 for both. So actually, let me um, pop cult down the four and give myself two dots of resources. Well, resources are always handy. Right, yeah. As you try to get at least... Having a little bit of spending cash, um, you know, lots of... Buried with lots of funeral goods, that kind of stuff, so... Yeah, okay. Um, now, I think... Uh, for some reason, I think resources may be classified as wealth in this game. Oh, in maybe Chronicles. Wealth. But either way, I get what it's going for. Right. Um, you don't need to... Don't need to agonize over it. Um, now, other options for other characters, you can have things like vestiges, uh, actual relics that contain powers, you can have status within your guilds, you could have a true friend, um, you could have specialized cultists, or this, that, or the other. There's lots of options. Uh, but we don't need to worry about that too much. The whole point of the game is there are options to it. And what we have done now is create a character, but the last thing you need to do, Eddie is mm-hmm. name them. Yes. So, 
I think one of the easiest things, easiest way to do it is, as in Mummy, you can basically have a character that has woken many, many times and lived the life of someone, and in your case, who was famous, Mm -hmm. I would pick a famous deceased person who you happen to inhabit at any point in history, bearing in mind that if you ever play a game in that era, you are playing that character. And it's like, there's the joke of, of playing Elvis, but also that is kind of attractive. <laughs> it is, but did how many points did you put into uh, basically two? Being a, so it wouldn't it wouldn't it wouldn't be him. Elvis impersonator, <laughs> the best damn Elvis impersonator right. in Vegas. Uh, I, I, yeah. Um, hmm. hmm. Well, so I mean, because dead celebrity doesn't necessarily have to. I mean, originally, I was like a minor um, noble, but now I think about it, it doesn't necessarily have to be one for one. Um, the celebrity could be unrelated to his nobility. Could be. Could be a politician. Um, as you've got politics. Uh, politics and performance would imply someone charismatic in the world of politics. So maybe having a a king that only lived a while, again, doesn't have to be Egyptian by any means. Mm-hmm. Um, or... Uh, the, the founding father that was left off the um, the declaration, uh, <laughs> Hamilton. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yes, your character doesn't have to go around wielding a name that sounds ancient, and uh, you can have adopted so many names, so many faces over the epochs that you have lived through, uh, that you can look and sound and be whoever you want. Right. Um. And of course, you can make up a celebrity. I'm 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 kind of rolling through uh, stuff here, and I'm I'm thinking uh, it's actually doing some Google searching here real quick. Um, there's Karl Mannerheim, who was a Finnish aristocrat in the late 1800s, hmm. um, and uh, he. Founded a, a paper mill. Um, his his uh, father was a naturalist. Um, he was a writer and a translator. He's known for radical liberal opinions. He became active in the Respiration of Finland. Um, so, I mean, that seems like actually is a pretty good option. Yeah, go for that. So, whether you go by Carl or just Mannerheim. Right. Um, yeah, uh, well, we have our character, ladies and gentlemen, and assorted members of the audience. Thank you very much, Eddie. Thank you. Oh, do we have to figure out our memory in Sikkim? Uh Well, that will depend on how you are awoken. So oh, okay. we'll deal so with that. that comes gameplay. Uh, yeah, as a general rule, uh, easiest way to look at it is Sekem starts at 10, memory starts at zero. But in reality, most games start with Sekem either 10 or 9, memory around 3, mm-hmm. uh, so that you're not a completely hopeless uh, idiot who needs to be led around by everybody else. Right. Um, but, you know, it depends on the game people want to play. Uh, so, I'm, I don't know if it'll be possible, but if it is, when we upload this one next week from time of recording, we will uh, maybe do a screenshot of your character sheet and put it up on the blog. Yeah, so and also also maybe we can um, uh, drop a copy into the Discord Pathcast channel. Yeah, good idea. Yeah, so make sure you save that sheet. I, 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 have, I have done so. Wonderful. Under the okay. amazing name of Eddie's Mummy PC. Ah, oh, 
Well, I think that's everything for Mummy the Curse. So what I'm going to say is, uh, listeners, if you haven't picked up a copy of Mummy, please do so. It's a game with infinite plumbability. There you go. How about that? Should have put that plumbability. Yes, uh, it's a game where you can play any time in history, any time in the future, for that matter. The Dark Era's books make for wonderful source books for it. It's not just available on Drive Through RPG. You can order it through Indie Press Revolution or Studio Two in its Prestige edition. Uh, it's a traditional print copy. Plus, you can purchase it from your friendly local game store. You just have to order a copy. If they look at you blankly and say, "Never heard of it." Ask them to get in touch with Studio 2. They're a pretty big supplier, especially in America. And so, yeah, I, I do hope people pick up a copy and leave a rating and or review uh, wherever they happen to get one. So, Eddie, if people want to look you up online, where would they go? Uh, apparently, they'll find me in late 18th century Finland. Uh, but other than that... <laughs> Um, you can find me on Twitter at uh, Pugsteady. That's P-U-G-S-T-E-A-D-Y. You can find my website at Pugsteady.com, or you can find me on the Onyx Path Discord. I will have to say that in the last episode, I fumbled where they could find you, Eddie. Um, oh, where, 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 are they, where are they looking for me now? I think I said something like, it's either Pugsteady.com, RealmsofPugmire.com, Pugmire.com, or some fucking thing. Uh, I... <laughs> Somefuckingthing.com uh, is where you can find yes. me. <laughs> um, don't don't search that website, <laughs> listeners. Somefuckingthing.com probably isn't isn't worth your time. You can find Dixie uh, on Twitter at uh, Dixie Cyanide. She's also on DixieCochran.com and of course on the Onyx Path Discord. And I'm on MatthewDawkins.com, Dawkins MP on Twitter, and Matthew Dawkins on the Onyx Path Discord. Thank you very much, everybody, for listening with us today, and see you next week. Many worlds. Mm-hmm.